Welcome to Music and Medicine. My name is Jacques Osmo, and music is my life. In this show, we will discuss the newest research on the intersection of music and medicine from scientific, musical, and historical perspectives. And most importantly, I hope that what you hear in this program will help you identify how to use music to make your own life healthier and happier. In today's program, we will go back in time, back to 15th and 16th century Europe, when the infamous pandemic of bubonic plague wreaked havoc on people's lives. During that time, as many other times throughout history, music emerged as one of the main healing forces, individual and social. Our guest today is a musicologist specializing in Renaissance music and the history of medicine. He's an associate professor at Loyola University, Maryland, and the author of the book titled Plague and Music in the Renaissance, published by Cambridge University Press in 2017, which examines the historical role of music and music making in combating pestilence. It is my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Remy Chu. Hello, happy to be here. I'm very excited about having you with us today as I use your book in teaching. Your study is almost eerily relevant to the times we live in. Yeah, unfortunately so. I guess that's the silver lining to my work. Um, <laughs> it's not relevant until it is in the, in the worst of cases. Um, so absolutely. So uh, during the lockdowns, for example, I've been seeing a lot of cultural parallels um, from the past and today. I think that a lot of people will be very interested to hear about some of these similarities. Um, I'd say that a number of my students were very surprised, and I'd say somewhat comforted to learn about them. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so um, I was actually alerted to this by a friend uh, on the CDC website. Um, there was a section on how to cope with the stress of plague. Uh, of COVID, actually, um, and uh, some of the advice was um, talk with friends, talk with loved ones, um, don't focus on the news, uh, shut down social media because that can cause fear and anxiety, and then engage in recreations that you like. Um, and it, it seems like such common sense advice, but in fact, um, the Renaissance doctors that I've studied had already been prescribing those types of things. Um, so uh, a doctor, one of my favorites <laughs> that I've read, uh, Nicola Massa, tells his readers um, in a plague treatise that they should take walks in gardens, uh, talk with friends and loved ones, tell funny stories, and most of all, make use of music and singing as those kinds of recreations. So I think the immediate thing that struck me is our return to the idea of mental health being very important in these times of crises for us today. And in fact, those same ideas had already circulated hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Oh. 
tristesse, vive l'ivresse, puisque mon Dieu, puisque mon Dieu a We've just heard Tant que vivre, a beautiful 16th century chanson by the French composer Claudin Sermizy, performed by Dominique Vizet and ensemble Clément Janneke. As long as I live, the poem says, I will serve the powerful God of love. This is exactly the type of music that will have been helping people take their minds off their immediate troubles. Now, today we know that diseases such as COVID-19 are caused by viruses. How did people think about these things in the 15th and 16th century? Yeah, so uh, today we we think of diseases like COVID, um, like the new coronavirus, as invasive entities, these external things that come into our bodies. But in Renaissance and you know classical models of health, um, being unwell meant an imbalance of humors. So it's thought that there are four fluids within our bodies, blood, uh, yellow and black biles, and phlegm. And for us to be healthy, these fluids, these humors have to be in balance. And that's according to each person's constitution, what that balance is. And if it's out of whack, then you become ill. So disease wasn't necessarily external invaders. They were within the body. They were caused by external agents, um, but it's ultimately down to your constitution. So for something like the plague, which I study, um, the cause of that humoral imbalance is corrupted air or miasma. So that's something external to the body, but um, once inhaled or absorbed through the pores, it would corrupt your blood and make it boil, um, give you fevers and, and so on and so forth. So it was airborne. It was aerial, yeah, yeah absolutely. So in some ways, um, that understanding of plague, uh, that epidemic disease is very much like the coronavirus today in that it is related to the air. Now, throughout the history, there have been many beliefs as to why something as a plague would happen. What kind of explanations or justifications have you come across um, in your research? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. Um, so there are two parallel or two telescoped, uh, I should say, um, train of thoughts about something like epidemic, epidemic disease like plague. Um, so there was a model of disease where, you know, um, it's natural causes that is provoking um, bad air. So for example, something like uh, improperly disposed waste, which causes bad smells, that is a kind of miasma that could bring on plague. Um, but for something to occur on the large scale to envelop entire countries and entire continents, um, it required something much bigger. So it might have been something like earthquakes that released foul vapors over entire regions, or it could be um, a misalignment of planets up there uh, above above the Earth that's causing changes in the atmospheric conditions. Um, so those are the natural causes of, um, of plague, of epidemic outbreaks. But ultimately, all of this, especially these bigger events, was the work of God, um, who is punishing humanity for their sins. So there's this great chain of causes where 
God is ultimately uh, the, the most remote of the causes, all the way down to maybe something as local as trash on the streets um, that's causing miasma. So that, that paradigm is very different than ours today. That's very interesting. So what was then the belief regarding the transmission of a disease, if those are the causes that were believed in? Yeah, so the transmission, um, it, it's very fascinating in that regard as well, because if you think of plague as an environmental miasma, then theoretically, um, if you're enveloped in it, then you're in danger, and you're outside of it, you're fine. So from in that sense, um, it, it makes sense that most doctors at the time prescribed flight as the number one safety precaution. So if there's an outbreak, you flee. You flee far, you flee quickly, and you return very late. And that's kind of their uh, axiom for that. But from the start of the first medieval outbreak uh, in the middle of the 14th century, people started to observe that plague may be contagious. And it becomes a very coherent theory, really. Um, so they thought that miasma, this foul air, can be generated within people who are sick. So people can become um, transmitter of plagues. Um, it was thought that goods like cloth, like um, material goods could trap miasmas bring plague from place to place. So because of this fear of contagion, um, some of the measures related to um, quarantine, it related to embargo. So those who were suspected of being sick were sometimes boarded up in their own homes. Um, if there was a health infrastructure, if there were plague hospitals, they would be carted off to plague hospitals and put in isolation. And there were embargoes uh, against goods uh, from infected regions. So uh, contagion was another problem aside from this, this environmental problem. That's really interesting. So many of the strategies that we use to protect ourselves from COVID-19 today are clearly derived from those that were used across the centuries and were found to work. Now, what was the perception regarding the mechanism of contagion? How did the disease actually pass from one person to another? Yeah, so the uh, the um, mechanism for contagion um, wasn't really very well known. So people were grasping for metaphors for how contagion can spread. So some doctors said it's kind of like the touch of an electric eel. It's like electricity passing. Um, and one recurrent trope was resonance, so musical resonance as a model for how um, infections occurred. So there, uh, one of the common um, experiments was if you take a string that's tuned to a certain note and you have another string nearby tuned to the same note, if you plucked one, then the other would, would vibrate, right? Um, it's observable, and it's actually true. Right. It's not yeah. one of those superstitious <laughs> things. It's observable, it's repeatable. You can do this with experimentations. So that became a kind of metaphor, analogy, for how one person can become ill uh, while being near somebody else who's, who's ill. And what about the remedies in that case, which were prescribed? 
So remedies for plague, um, you know, um, stretched from preventative measures, as I said, so isolation and things like mm-hmm. that, um, flight, um, to drugs. So various substances you can take. Um, kind of the most prized of them all was uh, theriac or treacle. It's a compound of something like 40, 50 ingredients. Um, to even surgery. So bloodletting um, and things like that. Although the wisdom of that um, over the course of Renaissance was debated whether it's effective for a treatment of plague. Um, and where really music comes in, where you know my interest comes in, is in the prophylaxis against mm-hmm. uh, plague. So one of the things that um, was thought, aside from just you know being infected by bad air, um, it was thought that just thinking about plague could cause buboes to erupt all over your bodies to make you susceptible and even succumb to illness. Um, And this was based on an understanding of um, kind of the psychosomatic interactions of of the human, um, where the link between the mind and the body was very strong. Um, So in that regard, um, doctors frequently prescribed, as I said earlier on, um, that you should really insulate the mind. So don't let things frighten you. Don't think about plague. And um, in that vein, using recreations like music and stories um, can really take the mind off of these negative effects and buttress the body.
This was Jordi Saval and Hesperian 21 in Gallarda Napolitana. So Remy, I'm curious, was music considered to be simply yet another activity that could help, or was there more to it? I mean, we read about the belief in the tremendous powers of music to heal, among other things, in countless writings from the antiquity onward. Yeah, so there are some doctors who say especially music um, can be useful. Um, and it depends on kind of where where their leanings are. So for someone like uh, Ficino, a Neoplatonist, who believed earnestly in those miraculous properties of music um, that the ancients had described, music, because of that um, special bond with the human soul, above all the other arts, above other kinds of recreation, can have fundamental effects on humanity, on, on the human body and human mind. So absolutely, there is a sector of doctors and, and, and thinkers who um, placed music above other arts and other recreations. So what did they think that this incredibly powerful medium, music, actually is? What did they believe that music is made of? <laughs> what was music made of? Um, well, it's that's a, a metaf kind of metaphysical question, mm -hmm. right? So, um, if you think about Pythagoras, for example, who says that universe, the entire universe, is numbers, and music mm -hmm. is proportion of numbers, and the human body and human soul is also numbers. Um, that becomes a pathway of explaining why music seems to act on us, on our emotions, on our bodies in such profound and miraculous ways. Because music is made of proportions in the same way that we are. So going back to the idea of sympathetic, sympathetic resonance, mm -hmm. you know, if, if two strings tuned to the same note can vibrate so miraculously with each other, then music, which is somehow tuned to the proportions, uh, proportions of our souls can likewise act in miraculous ways in very direct and very responsive ways as well. Now, historically and across different cultures, music has been regarded as anything from the substance from which the world was created to the tool of its actual creation. The ancient Greeks spoke about the music that even defines the movement of celestial bodies. Now, according to the Renaissance thinkers, is music made of air? Um, is it uh, of the air, the same as our soul? Is that why it connects? So, according to Ficino, you're exactly right. So, he says, you know, music is aerial substance. Just mm -hmm. as our spirit and our souls, so our so uh, their spirit. So there is something substantially similar um, in that regard. Given all these beliefs, is there a type of music usually prescribed as being particularly effective? That's a great question. Um, doctors, um, when they do speak about music, tend mm -hmm. to talk about instrumental music. They talk about. Um, Cantilenas, so secular songs. They talk about they talk about music in the context of having fun, of recreation. So they are aiming very much at the secular um, right. and carefree, as you can imagine, carefree kind of music. Um, and if you look at evidence such as Boccaccio's *The Cameron*, which is the story 
um, about rich Florentines who fled the city at the first signs of, of plague, um, and they entertained each other with stories every day and every night with music. The kinds of songs that they're singing are love songs, uh, um, secular songs. Oh, very interesting. Love heals all. Love no. heals all, yeah. <laughs> Speaking in terms of music theory or musicology, was it music in triple meter? Because that was traditionally considered to be sort of a happier setup? Yeah, if, if you want to dig down into those um, kind of the smaller yeah, details, then absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so people like Descartes, for example, mm -hmm. thought that um, there are certain sounds, certain uh, modes, um, certain even certain meters that are more conducive to joy. So triple meter is one of those things. So um, within the beat, the triple meter, um, he says, you know, it subdivides the beat into more parts. Mm -hmm. And when the mind is occupied with more things, it, it's kind of refreshed and, and uh, delighted. Um, so joy is very much associated with um, the triple meter. And, you know, in, um, in instance of text painting throughout uh, the Renaissance, very often um, depictions of happy things, of joy, of dancing, um, is set to triple meter. So there is that cultural association. And now, one such piece in triple meter. Can she excuse my wrongs? A galliard by the famed English lutenist and composer John Dowland, performed by Emma Kirby and Anthony Rooley. Can she excuse my wrongs with virtue's cloak? Shall I call her good when she proves unkind? Are those clear fires which vanish into smoke? Must I praise the leaves where no fruit I find? No, no, where shadows do for Thousand times to die. 
Now, if music was considered to have such power, was there concern about its dangers? Because whatever can be used for good can be used for the opposite as well. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, this goes all the way back to the ancients. Um, so music can make people cowardly, can make people, um, you know, <laughs> as much as music can spur them to good things, they can just as easily be um, used for ill, as you said. Um, in the Renaissance, across the Renaissance, during plague outbreaks, the staunchest voices against music came from religious authorities. And they came at it um, from a concern of morality. So music um, can lead people to sin. Music can lead people to lust, um, especially in those kinds of contexts that we were talking about in terms of you know dancing, in terms of secular recreation. So um, religious authorities and religious-minded doctors were far more circumspect about music and its uses. So for someone like um, Borromeo, for example, or Savonarola, those kinds of recreations um, were very problematic. Now, from all your studies, what lessons from history do you think that we can draw while dealing with the current pandemic? My favorite thing, and it just absolutely delighted me when, when I saw this um, in, in the spring, um, were all the Europeans who came out onto their balconies to sing to each other. Um, that was just one of those rallying things um, that, that made me hopeful for human ingenuity, for ways of finding social cohesion, of regulating moods, um, that, that seems so spontaneous and ingenious. Um, and looking at the videos of those um, um, events and, and the commentators, um, you see that it really does bring um, a lot of joy to people. And in fact, um, those kinds of activities are not new singing on the balcony. Um, during an outbreak in 1576 in Milan, um, when devotional rituals were no longer possible because of uh, quarantine and curfew, the Milanese were encouraged by the church to come to their balconies seven times a day and to sing the litany and other um, songs of praise uh, to each other. Um, and commentators at the time, like commentators on YouTube today, were so struck by the beauty of this. Some of them even said, you know, I kind of wish for this calamity to continue just so we can have this the entire city blanketed in song. So you can imagine just how moved and how touching um, those kinds of uh, rituals were. That does sound very beautiful. So can you tell us a bit more about the Plague of Milan? Yeah, that was a, a fascinating one. Um, it's also one of the first ones to be really um, described in detail by chroniclers on um, previous plagues. You really have to kind of piece together a variety of evidence. Um, but for that outbreak, starting a, at that time, you actually have sustained writing, uh, long pieces of writing about um, the outbreak. There are a number of parallels between Plague of Milan and today. So by the time Plague struck Milan in 1576, um, other cities in the region had already been struck. So the Milanese kind of knew it was coming. It first arrived 
in August. And by the end of the month, Chronicler said it was everywhere. So it spread very quickly. Um, the governor and some of the wealthy people immediately fled. And we see that. Um, we see this all, all throughout past plagues, but also during COVID, when uh, people with second homes just fled New York City and went Very upstate. So. Yeah. yeah, or Connecticut. And they started sending people off into isolation. So not only people who are sick, but people who are suspected of being sick were sent off into the plague hospital. Um, but that was soon very quickly overwhelmed. So they had to build temporary huts. Again, something that we see, uh, we saw with Italy and New York even uh, at the start of the pandemic. They had to bring in trailers. They built tents in parking lots to house the sick uh, for triage. Um, plague continued to grow worse during the, um, the fall, so they had to go into lockdown. So shops had to get special permits to remain open. Families were told to stay inside and uh, heads of households also had to get uh, permits to be able to leave. Again, something we saw with lockdowns. And they even went through a second wave. So things started to calm down in, in the winter, but then picked up again into February. So um, that ebb and flow of disease that we see today, we saw in the past as well. Those parallels are absolutely fascinating. And music always seemed to be there helping us keep our lives together. Um, it brings me kind of uh, reassurance that, you know, time and again, in times of distress, we, when we improvise, um, we come to music. Um, we take out our favorite songs. We um, join our neighbors um, in music and music making. Well, we are all surrounded by music from before we are born. So what, which roles would you say that music assumes in all of our lives since our birth onward? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, um, psychologists and even, you know, evolutionary theorists um, have you know, posited various functions of music. And some of them may be even adaptations, right? Um, evolutionary adaptations. And I think the idea of mood regulation and social cohesion which psychologists have found time and again that we, we come to music for are especially important in these times of isolation and these times of distress. Um, and we can find traces of that throughout history. So whether it's um, Renaissance doctors saying how you can regulate your mood with music to the idea of conducting ritual using music as a centerpiece to bring entire cities together, to, to bring entire communities together. Um, I think those two functions of music in particular are evident during these um, disasters. And, and that function is very much evident in our own time. And finally, I'm wondering if you would be able to recommend a couple of pieces from the Renaissance and then a couple of pieces contemporary from our time that you think very well reflect what we need to do to get through this pandemic? I will start with um, the present, if we're thinking about getting through this particular pandemic. <laughs> um, yeah, a number of things. Actually, a number of comedy songs <laughs> really uh, uh, cheered me up. Um, there's one by the Blues Brothers 
if you, you can look it up uh, online. And they are performing Omia Bella Majunina with English lyrics. Well, sorry, I, I should no, with contrafact lyrics, and the video has English subtitles. Uh, I should say that. Omia Bella Majunina is a an unofficial anthem of Milan. And they take that tune and they sing it in solidarity with the Italians. Um, and they've swapped out the lyrics to um, describe conditions of COVID. They have swapped out the lyrics, so the original lyrics, to um, give encouragement for us in telling us what to do. Like, stay home, play the cards, play cards until all this is over, which I find um, fantastic in that it, it kind of captures some of those prescriptions for recreations um, that we find. And what's particularly interesting about that is that um, they used this tune um, and they sang this tune because they were inspired by a Milanese trumpeter who played the same tune from his window earlier in March of this year. So there's this great transatlantic dialogue, um, this call and response of musical togetherness that we see in these practices. Um, so not only is that a great uh, song, it has that kind of contextual meaning for me as well. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'll have to look it up on YouTube. What else do you recommend? A lot of uh, what people have been streaming in Spotify have been these um, gallows humor songs, uh, is what I call gallows humor songs. So Toxic by Britney, um, <laughs> Dancing with Myself by Billy Idol. So I think finding those humorous pieces that resonate with the situation, I think, is very useful. As for the past, um, some of my favorites uh, include Dufay's O Beate Sebastiani. I very much like the Marian hymn, Stella Chile Exterpavit, and there are a number of uh, recordings out there. There's just so many, <laughs> so many I like. I love um, Martini's Motet to St. Sebastian. Yeah, so those are the ones that uh, you can find online that I really recommend. Very good. As a kind of, as a kind of spiritual outlet as well. And Remy, any parting thoughts? I absolutely do think that music and musicians have a role in doing our, our spirits and um, kind of keeping our societies together in that sense. So, I, yeah, absolutely. So music does have an important role to play. Dr. Remy Chu, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And so we end our program today with one of our guests' recommendations. Dancing with Myself by Billy Idol. And if you feel like dancing, don't hold back. Doctors say it will be good for your health and will uplift your mood.
And if this doesn't shake you up, I don't know what will. And so we come to the end of today's program. Today, our guest was Dr. Remy Chu, a musicologist specializing in Renaissance music and the history of medicine. He is an associate professor at Loyola University, Maryland, and the author of the book titled Plague and Music in the Renaissance, published by Cambridge University Press in 2017. Until next time, Stay healthy and happy and keep listening.